Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Manneker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. More than 20 years ago, James Corona and his wife, Heather Sacra, opened Heather James Gallery in Palm Desert, California. Since then, they've expanded to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, New York, San Francisco, and this fall, Montecito. Recently, Jim explained to me his unique approach to art dealing. I thought it might be a good place for us to start is just to go back and get a little bit of history of your gallery, because I think though you recently opened spaces in New York and San Francisco, your business has been around quite some time in Jackson, Wyoming and uh, Palm Springs. So I'm curious about dealing art in those uh, kinds of environments, but also to hear about how uh, you and Heather got together and got into the art business to begin with. So um, my wife um, and I met in 1994. And um, soon after we met, she was teaching elementary school at the time, and I was running um, a group of martial arts schools at the time. I had been an investment banker. Um, I had a small boutique investment banking firm. I totally changed my life when I came to California and that's where I met my, my wife, Heather. And I can remember Heather and I sitting down and talking about, um, you know, exactly what was important for us in our lives. And we came up with some, some basic Um, some basic things that were really important to us. One, the constant process of learning. We were both long-term teachers. We both loved traveling. We both loved history and culture. And we, um, um, and what was the last thing? History, culture, learning. Um, those were the, the, the basic kind of core things that were really important to us. And we were, at the time, we were collecting a little. We were, we were fascinated by antiquities, particularly ancient Chinese material, ancient Chinese bronzes, Han and Tang um, pottery. And um, so we decided that that was what um, a a strong passion for us. So we went to a friend of ours and um, who was running, had run for many, many years um, an antiquities company in in, um, Laguna Beach. And we asked him for advice and we asked him to be our mentor, um, essentially. And he provided a lot of insight. We were living in Orange County, California at the time. And he gave us some tremendous insight, and he told us that if he were going to open um, a gallery, it would be in Palm Desert on El Paseo. So we came out, visited it in 1995. Um, We started to write a business plan to get an idea of what it would be to do this, because Heather and I had no knowledge whatsoever about um, running an art business. And in, a, in, in some ways that was bad. And in some ways it allowed us to think differently and against convention. And I think that has 
always been incredibly helpful. We didn't come to this with preconceived um, ideas of what to do and what not to do. That was really, really important. And so in 1996, we um, opened our gallery on El Paseo, and it was an ethnographic gallery. We had ancient Chinese, Japanese, pre-Columbian, um, African. Um, so it was an ethnographic base. And, um, so we ran that for a few years, and um, and then one person kind of changed the trajectory of our gallery. And I can remember he and his wife had bought a few things from us, and um, he he brought me to lunch one day, and he said that he really trusted us, and he um, liked what we were doing. And if we could find him a painting by Monet, he would buy it. Now, from selling antiquities um, to selling Monet was a huge leap, clearly. And what, what we did was we contacted Sotheby's and Christie's, and soon after that um, request was made, we, we bought an incredible Monet for this client. And from then on, the trajectory of the business changed. We still have our roots. There are still, we do still um, sell some ethnographic art. It's a very small part of our business, but it's something that we love. Um, and so it is, it is occasionally there, especially if we find something that has, you know, incredible provenance in history. Again, it's all about stimulating this idea of daily learning. I want to, I want people to bring us exciting, interesting, new things all the time that we can share with people and kind of, you know, delight, delight people in this, in the sense of, Here's this one piece this week, and here's a totally different piece the next week. And where are we getting these things? And please tell us the story. So that that that's the 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 thrust of what we love to do. And so this one client that bought the Monet subsequently bought just um, a litany of who's who pieces from us over time. You know, Renoir, Van Gogh. Rothko, de Kooning's. I mean, just you, you, you couldn't believe what, you know, occurred over a, a very short span of time. And then, and then his business partner started um, to buy major things from us. Magritte's, um, Frida Kahlo, just, just blockbuster things. And because we were buying at such a level, um, Sotheby's and Christie's clearly and some other dealers took notice and that gave us an entree into better and better material that we were able to um, share with our clients and then from again from from this level of buying and this um, the, the kindness and generosity of this couple that kind of were the the um, the genesis of where our business is now introduced us to other people and um, you know it became a word of mouth thing and and we got we got a significant amount of um, of momentum from that so 
Were these um, uh, clients all people with homes in the Palm Springs, Palm Desert yes. area? Yes. Uh huh. So you yeah. were not selling to people coming uh, there on vacation. You were oh, selling yeah. to. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. We were doing that. Um, but the, the, the couple that made the, the key uh, purchase, they, they, they live here in the desert. Yeah. But the, the, our ethnographic gallery, we sell from people all around the world. Um, but mostly, I would say, people based um, in, in the West. And the evolution of that over time with the advent of technology uh, it it has, you know, when we first started, I could remember, you know, printing out photos and sending them FedEx to clients, and and um, um, the ability to get high quality images in front of clients all around has transformed the way we do business. So um, I'll I'll pick up this the story from here. So. Um, so we decided, um, you know, an opportunity came our way in 2009 to open the gallery in, um, in Jackson Hole. It was right after the financial um, collapse. And a man who was building a beautiful space in Jackson kind of offered us a, a, a really wonderful opportunity to have a gallery there. And it was one of those things that it was, it wasn't something that was planned. It was a, an opportunistic kind of move. So um, we decided to open the gallery there and, and that has been a wonderful experience because in general, we have done very well in niche markets, markets that are um, high, ultra high net worth people, but, a little bit out of the way. It's not, not you know, you know. Obviously, we have the gallery in New York and San Francisco now, but um, before that, we we recognize we do well in these um, in these resort communities where someone comes, they're on vacation, they're relaxed, and again, we want we want them to walk in here or walk in. Um, in Jackson, in Jackson Hole, or our soon-to-be-open gallery in Montecito, and for them to say, oh, my God, you know, we only see these things in, you know, New York galleries. Where did you get these things? So we do very well in those, um, in those resort towns. So um, that, that gallery has, has done phenomenally well for us, and um, you know, it all comes down to our clients. We have, we have just a wonderful group of clients that are, are, are like our family. Heather and I are very close with most every one of our top clients, and they're, they're close friends. They're who we hang around with. So it's about building that rapport and that relationship. That's important. So... Um, so how did the the you uh, switch gears from uh, opening galleries in you know for lack of a better term sort of resort locations to opening in San Francisco and then just recently New York? 
So what has happened is it's taken us essentially 22 years to get to the point where our infrastructure, our infrastructure in all areas can, can support other galleries. So our ops, our ops team is incredible. Our marketing team is really strong. Our, again, our sales team. So everything's in place for us to be in, able to intelligently move to where our clients exist. So we had, we had 100 existing clients in San Francisco, many of whom I had never met. So it made sense for us to have an outpost in San Francisco where clearly that not only the demographics with San Francisco having the second largest number of billionaires in the U.S. behind New York, but also those existing hundred clients that we never, never get in front of that I just don't have enough coverage. So New York, San Francisco, Montecito, and perhaps coming forward some other key locations are examples of we needing to have people on the ground to build strong relationships with existing clientele. Now, the other thing I will tell you is, is when we, as I told you in, in 1995, six, when we opened, um, where we were, you know, doing FedEx, going to the, you know, the photography, you know, the, the photo store and getting, getting images, um, you know, printed out eight by tens and sending them to clients. Currently, 40% of our clients are international clients that are coming to us through different digital platforms. Our, our own outreach and our outreach from our, um, our, our um, partners like Artnet, First Dips, etc. And it's astounding to me um, that a full 40% of our sales are, in fact, international. And Apple are comfortable enough um, to purchase um, very significant works of art from us, you know, without ever seeing them before they, they buy it. So the whole digital space online is, is, is clearly um, the future of, of, of uh, all art. Uh, are dealing, I, I feel. So I presume, and I may be wrong, but I presume that you don't do many art fairs. And I was going to posit that perhaps being in uh, these resort towns is a little bit like doing an art fair in the sense that people come to you, you have a chance to uh, develop a rapport with them, and then you're able to conduct business uh, globally through these, you know, electronic means. You can send them images, you can speak to, to, to them, you can both respond to their desires, but also when they ha have an opportunity, run it by them quickly. Is that correct? I think that's a really um, insightful um, commentary. So for us, you, we can do the, the analysis. You know, we've gone back and forth with art fairs. And we've done a few art fairs in, in New York primarily. So if we do an art fair in New York, um, 
you know, it's probably $120,000 for a discrete amount of time. So for us, the calculus is one time, one fare, 120000 versus a space in New York for not much more than that, but it's year-round. So the other thing about art fairs, and, I, you know, we may change our, our mind about this, the logistical issues involved, the, the, the incredible frenzy before, during, and after, the, the toll it takes on the staff to do these kind of things. I would rather plant someone in these geographies and have them work on relationships, you know, over the years rather than worrying about, you know, killing themselves for, you know, the preceding weeks, the week of and after the fair. So, uh, you know, at some point, and it's probably not going to happen, but if, if, I had the right team that all they were doing is dedicated to art fairs. Maybe I would think about it, but when I do the calculus, I don't see it working out. In other words, like, you know, the um, Miami Basel, you know, I thought about that might be kind of the fair we'd want to go to. But again, it's, it's, you know, go there hundred grand or whatever it's going to cost. Or do I want to put someone on the ground in that geography um, and that would make sense? To me, to me, um, not everyone wants the, the responsibility. That, that's the issue. Number one, you have to have an incredible infrastructure to have these remote outposts. You have to have great people on the ground. And all of these things are not easy. And you have to make a commitment um, to a space for five years or so. So when I look at all of these remote locations, I'm looking at, um, you know, the potential downside, you know, and the upside. And because so much of our so much of our costs are borne by the gallery and palm desert, our infrastructure, our people here. So my cost to operate the the remote locations is relatively small compared to if you had just one location and you were a, a one man band in a in a certain location. So all of our registrarial people, all of our packing, shipping, logistics people, the marketing people, all of the support for the San Francisco, New York. Um, um, Montecito, Jackson Hole is done here. So for them to to, to have a profitable situation in those outposts, it's it's much easier easier for us to do it because of the economies of scale. And you also need to have inventory to open uh, outposts, let alone keep your um, clients uh, interested. Uh, uh, I I presume that you uh, acquire uh, as much from your client base or, or uh, you said you were sourcing things from auctions uh, early on. I mean, I noticed you have a very eclectic 
program. There's a, a range of, as you said, ethnographic art to um, a lot of sort of 19th century art to some, uh, you know, uh, contemporary blue chip and uh, uh, abstract expressionist painters uh, among the works you represent. And, and you just opened this show in New York with Wojciech Fangor, who's, um, you know, uh, a market that's fairly cutting edge. So, so it's it's such a broad uh, range. I'm curious to see how you both acquire inventory and pursue your program. You know, um, this is this gets to the core of the issues for us. It was pretty clear to me that if we have great material. That is the key to making it work. So we spend an incredible amount of effort in cultivating relationships where our clients or people that we reach out to allow us to sell or allow us to buy their art. Because you're spot on, you're, you're seeing, your last two questions were spot on in terms of um, the, the, the factors that um, you know, are most important for any gallery. So we, again, we spend as much time trying to get material as we do trying to sell material because that is a limiting factor that we can have galleries all over the place. But if we don't have great material in those galleries, um, then, then the, the, the model won't work. And in terms of what comes up, we try to stay as nimble as possible because, for, the, for example, the Fongor show, we knew about these pieces two years ago. And we talked to our client and we said, you know, please give us these pieces. And he kept resisting for, you know, a long time. And eventually, once he said, okay, I'm going to give them to you, we have to be nimble enough to put something together immediately because people don't want to wait. It's not something where, like a museum, um, you know, they're looking for a show two or three years from now. If one of our clients has the kernel of a show and we can build around that kernel, or they may have, you know, there's one of our clients in Europe has 18 of a particular ABEX um, artist's work that we're going to be getting. So we're going to be getting those in, and because of that, then we'll then we'll build a show immediately around that. There's another group of 40 incredible American modernist works that we should be getting in, and when 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 we announce it, people are going to be shocked. And um, it's just about building a relationship with the owner. And once we sign that deal, then we'll immediately, you know, put put a show in place. So, you know, often people will say, and, and our PR people will say too, you know, what are you going to be doing in, you know, the gallery, you know, a year from now? And really it's hard for us to know that because as time goes on and people come to us, the shows will come together on their own based on what comes to us. It drives, um, you know, the PR people crazy because they want the long lead so they can do the, you know, the, the long lead press. But it, it, 
that's kind of not the way we, you know, have chosen to kind of put this together. And on that American modernist uh, material, where will you do that show in San Francisco or New York or in Jackson Palm Desert? You know, what I was thinking was because our Montecito space is probably going to be opening in September sometime. Maybe it makes sense to open there with a blockbuster like that and then move it to New York. That would be that would be my my general kind of philosophy on that. We're moving material around from gallery to gallery based on the seasonality and and the main um, the main art related activities in in those specific locations. But in reality, in reality, it doesn't matter where we put those pieces because again, people will walk in and see them and that could result in in something good happening. But in general, our digital reach is such that the people who buy those works will more than likely not ever walk into the gallery where they are. It'll be a situation where the the shows in Montecito, but our client in New York or our client in Texas or or our client in Israel buys them. It's 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 kind of phenomenal how that works. So well, we see so that we see that with a bunch of different. Um, you know, uh, versions of this kind of selling that it's important to people to see that the work is in a venue that they may not need to walk into the gallery in New York or Montecito to look at it, but it's being hung in a gallery in New York or Montecito has a big effect on, on how seriously they take the, the work and that it's for sale. For example, they need to see it within a space they need to see that you actually have the material. That's a big thing too. It makes them feel comfortable. If I if we're showing it on the wall of the Montecito space and our client is in Russia or wherever he or she is, it's important for them to feel the comfort that that is in that space and the show is in that space. It's but but again beyond that, um, um, seeing it within. Um, an exhibition uh, format. It is really important for people. And is is that why you opened a space in New York to sort of give um, that kind of venue? So New York um, is such a huge part of the art market. And it was, it was stunning actually to us opening the gallery there had on our clients and our peers. For us, the step to do that wasn't so big, but I think in the minds and, and eyes of everyone else, it was a huge thing. So it really helped us in terms of our credibility and positioning. Because I think up until that point, people may have said, well, they're a, they're a good gallery, they're a good regional gallery based where they are. But once we've stepped foot you know, on 75th between Park and Madison, people took notice and people perceptively have been 
looking at us differently. And it was, I knew to an extent that would happen, but it, it was a huge thing. And, you know, and, and the other thing about New York is we have so many of our top clients are right there. So- and our clients from, from Asia and Europe go to New York, and when they're there, they walk in. Like, for example, this gigantic collector from, and this relates to San Francisco. We announced the San Francisco space. And, the, and a Japanese collector that we've been trying to get to for a long time emailed and said, can I come in and make a personal, you know, um, tour of the gallery when I'm there next week? One of our clients from Russia, a really big client from Russia, um, he, he um, came into the New York gallery. We had never met him, it, um, but he was in New York and he stopped by. So. Uh, the, the gallery in New York and San Francisco has has really helped us in terms of our branding and positioning. How, how else have have those galleries uh, helped? Is it is it make it easier for you to acquire work? Uh, exactly. You know. <laughs> I'll give an example. So we're, we'll talk to a client in New York because let's say the gray of the art collecting world is in New York. So think of how easy, much easier it is for us to say to someone, you know, we want to get your great painting. Two, two streets away is our gallery. Could we have one of our people come by and meet you and talk to you? It makes, it facilitates and eases um, the ability to get consigned material from top collectors. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and so who do you see as your competition uh, in this business now, especially that now that you've got this kind of different profile? Uh, uh, when you go to a client, their alternative is to sell through the one of the main auction houses, through another uh, uh, dealer. Uh, you know, who, who, who do you lose, lose business to is, I guess, my question. Sotheby's and Christie's would be – they, um, you know, I, I talk to our staff all the time. Sotheby's and Christie's are among our biggest clients, but they're also among our biggest competitors. So we have we have um, great relationships. They buy a lot from us, but at the same time, um, in terms of getting material, we have to compete head up against Sotheby's and Christie's. So that that is they would be our main uh, our main competition for getting material. So earlier, when you talked about having a person on the ground, I assume you mean uh, you know renting a store, basically that to run a gallery in another city for you, since most of your operations are there in Palm Desert, is really about having a person and a nice space, and they sort of run the business for you. Or are you saying that you have someone, say, in Miami, who is effectively private dealing uh, for you? Yeah, when I mean on the ground, in our gallery in New York, we have um, three people in San Francisco. We have three or four in Jackson. We have the same amount. And we're building the staff of those of those outposts. So, so. We also have a person without a gallery on the ground in the Chicago area, and she goes 
anywhere in a thousand mile radius of Chicago. And then we also have someone based in Austin, Texas, and she goes all the way to, and meets all of our clients in the Texas area. So those people are on the ground without galleries. And then, then we have the people on the ground in, in Jackson, they go to Denver, they, they, they cover that, that um, Denver, Aspen, Jackson, Idaho area. And then obviously the person in San Francisco, the people in San Francisco, the whole Bay Area, Portland, Seattle, and the, the people in New York go all the way down to Florida when they need to, um, but they cover the eastern seaboard. And, and we really believe in getting right out in front of our clients, meeting them. And again, it's about building rapport. It's about relationship building. It's, it's about a relationship over time. Um, often the salespeople are anxious to make something happen right away. And I, I tell them that, you know, in the long run, it has to be about uh, building a relationship long term and, um, and, and being there, helping, doing everything we can to, um, to assist any particular client or, or, or person that we'd like to make a client. So I noticed in that your list of places and uh, coverage, there was no mention of Santa Fe. Is that just because, you, you know, it's not a place you're looking to open? We looked at that marketplace a long time ago. And, you know, in the, in the mid-90s, early 2000s, that marketplace was more vibrant than it is today. And, you know, we have some dealer uh, dealer clients and dealer friends who have galleries there and there there is a sense that that market um, that market is not on an ascendancy so so that's why we we we've chosen not to look there for now and it's and it's a crowded marketplace. So uh, it, if there if it's not growing, maybe it's not a great place to to uh, 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 look for your own growth. I, I wanted to just go back to something you were saying a moment ago about what your clients are, um, you know, long term relationships, and that sort of uh, prompts the question whether your clients buy and sell actively you know, and what their tastes are. Is there is there a life cycle to, you know, mo most of the time we talk about uh, collectors sort of coming in often for specific, you know, they, they bought a piece of real estate that they're decorating. They become interested in the art as art, not just as uh, filling up wall space and, and all. And, and they often go through certain periods where they collect a lot and then stop. Uh, uh, then there's also this new trend where people are kind of more active buyers and sellers almost steadily over, uh, uh, the course of time. And so I'm curious, one to hear about, you know, your collector base and then a little bit to talk about their, what their tastes are and how those are changing. So as you, as you saw, when you looked at the website, we're incredibly collect, uh, eclectic in, in what we're doing. So we have the segmentation of, of different um, clients. So we have the connoisseur client 
who's looking for a very specific um, genre, very specific targeting what they're looking for. I would include our museum clients in that list. We we sell a significant amount of material to to museums. So there there is that 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 group of collectors, very specific tastes. I'm looking for material by these five artists. That's it. This this time period, etc. So there is that segment. That's probably a smaller segment of of our collecting group. Then there are people that have many homes. They're looking to decor decorate specifically based upon their real estate needs. That is not an insignificant part of our um, of, of our market, but it's that's a transitory thing. The biggest part of our market, I would say, is people that are buying art with the idea that it it can be a repository of wealth it can act as a hedge against other investments that they have and that could be looked at as an investment for them that they want to trade on a long or short uh, term uh, time horizon that trend is 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 more and more occurring. Um, so um, there are many of our clients that come to us and they may have a certain allocation of their art investment, uh, their investments over a particular year, and they may give us a certain allocation and they, they may want us to be, you know, fully involved with decision-making um, with that, or they may want to participate in that. So it, it, it's a mixture of things. And I think, um, I think it's clear that all of the, um, the big investment banks um, are having, you know, people that advise their ultra high net worth clients in terms of managing, um, managing their art assets. So it's, it's a very, big component of the market right now um, and and in a sense it there's a commoditization of it based on you're kind of looking at things as an investment and in some ways that there's it loses something in 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 translating it that way but I understand that it is, you know, it's it's an undeniable force in the market that, you know, we've we've had to make some adjustments for. And how does that affect the artists that they're interested in? I mean, is is there is it sort of wide open? It's on a case by case basis, or do you see uh, trends in what people are looking to acquire through you? There are people that are counter cyclical traders. In other words, they're looking for the out of favor positions. So there are certain people that are what is out of favor and what's the likelihood of this um, area coming back and making those counter counter cyclical trades. And then there are people that are looking for the hot contemporary who's going to be the up and comer who's going to be the next mark bradford who's going to be the next 
Andrew Decca Crosby, and they're looking um, for the big hit, kind of like um, the IPO, you know, the Uber kind of thing. You know, you you buy it for ten thousand and it's worth a million. So there are a lot of people that want to play play that game, and then there are people that are looking and they're saying, um, you know, they they might have. $500 million worth of assets, and they're looking for blue chip um, pieces, known artists, um, uh, very stable kind of marketplaces. Um, and that's where you would see the Monet, Picasso, the big names. That's, a, that, that's probably the biggest aspect of, of, of uh, you know, the collectors looking for um appreciation or um growth of 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 their art investment over time it would be the people that are looking for big name artists impressionist modern and then the major post-war and contemporary that they feel that over time that these assets could outperform or help smooth out their overall rate of return of their assets. So again, that would be Monet, Picasso, de Kooning, Rothko, the big names. And do you agree with that uh, point of view? I think it's hard to ignore if you look at the world in, in general, with the amount of wealth that's being created everywhere around the world. And one thing that's hard to ignore also is that it is very, it's almost an imperative. If you're anywhere in the world and you're acquiring great wealth, in order to show a level of sophistication and class there is a level there is a there is a not so unsubtle push to collect great art that you can share with your friends and for them to recognize that not only are you wealthy but you have class sophistication and taste very strong impulse going on and that's kind of a fashion or a trend that as dealers all the art dealers hope this trend continues but anywhere there's wealth being created they're looking for Picasso, Monet and the big names and they they, they may not know much about art but they know Picasso and Monet and because of that, there is going to be it, there's supply and demand characteristics going on that is, is going to push going to push those um, those price uh, the prices of, of of those artists higher and higher. What is uh, next for you guys after Montecito? I think if we were just you know looking at the map where our clients are currently and some logistical considerations. I would say that Chicago and Palm Beach would be the places in which if we saw the right opportunity and we had the right people there, followed by Dallas, Houston, 
beyond the U.S., our approach would be for us to have a gallery at some point in London, and then in China, more than likely Shanghai. So we're kind of putting out, we're exploring that to some degree, and it may be a year or two or three off, but that that is definitely within um, within what we're thinking of doing. But not Europe. That's interesting. Just London. Yeah, so I, I was considering that sort of not continental Europe, especially with oh, Brexit yes. looming yes. and all. all. Yes. But but it's just yeah. it, it's interesting. Is once the 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 center of the art world, and now you know here you're talking about a a multi gallery international art trading business that would be located you know primarily in the U.S. but sort of not looking at Europe as necessarily a growth area. It's just it's just an interesting sort of turn. And I suppose positive. It just, you know, the, there's a, a, a big part of the world uh, that's uh, very interested uh, in acquiring art these days. And, and, and that trend is something that we don't, we take for granted, this trend and this fashion. But if you really look at it, it doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be that people put so much emphasis on art. It doesn't need to be the fashion and the trend and kind of like a, a prerequisite for entering a, a certain segment of life. It doesn't need to be, but the, the, the impulse and the trend is very strongly in our favor. And, um, you know, we're hoping to be a part of that you know, in the, in, in, in uh, the present and in the foreseeable future. Well, that is a perfect summation. Uh, Jim, I wanted to thank you for <laughs> spending so much time with me and uh, really talking us through your business. I appreciate it. Thank you, Marion. Thank you for listening to the Artelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com 